Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your hosts, Stephen with Night Mask number seven, and and Andy, I'll be covering Cy Force number seven. So, started in 1986, the New Universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and re- less fantastic approach to comics and world building. Uh, the idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and reasonably, maybe cinematically realistic technology, physics, astronomy, and biology. Uh, Eight new comic series launched in one month, set in our world in 1986. Now, as the stories progressed to 1987, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals except a few secret agencies. Uh, With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack or just Check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. Uh, We also have a recent recap episode covering issues one through six that covers the first issue. Yeah, the first six issues. (laughs) Um, We have social medias. We have a website, kickersinc.com, for which you can find our super sleuth sweepstakes. Um, So new prizes for the second season available there. Uh, There's a great facebook fan page that we don't run marvel comics new universe fans and uh, we have a twitter at at kickers inc so lots and lots of ways to check us out and stay involved and just keep on top of things it's a whole world of new universe information out there that a lot of people didn't realize existed (laughs) until now right (laughs) it's there Uh, and this week i'll be covering night mask Keith Remsen is a young paranormal who can enter people's dreams in the disguise Night Mask. With his sister Teddy as a psychic anchor, guidance from Dr. Ballad, and help from physical therapist Lita Marcado, he helps others at the Ballad Dream Clinic. This week, Night Mask must enter a young delinquent's dreams and stop him before he destroys himself. Written by Roy Thomas, Illustrated by Mike Hernandez. Mm. It'd be really terrible if the young delinquent destroyed himself. Hopefully yeah. it's okay. I mean, the young honor student destroyed himself doesn't really grab me as much, I gotta admit. <laughs> no sympathy for delinquents. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this week I'll be covering Cyforce. Uh, avoiding trouble from street gangs and government agents, a group of psychic teenage paranormal runaways is bound together by a psychic entity called the Psyhawk, who they <laughs> resent and fear. Um, they have no name for themselves, but we call them Cyforce. And uh, this week in Cyforce, the Cyforce, I keep saying too many times saying Cyforce. Cyforce. What's this about Cyforce? Cyforce, you say? <laughs> I've been hearing a lot about this Cyforce. They (laughs) leave San Francisco for a sanctuary in Seattle, which turns out to be everything else but a sanctuary. Uh, Written by David Micheline, penciled by Bob Hall. All right. By force. (laughs) All right. Um, So let's dive right into Night Mask number seven. Um, It hit the stands uh, January 27, 1987 right around my birthday. I don't remember what was happening that year. Mm -hmm. Um, Cover uh, is May 87. And um, 
it's got kind of a generic cover with Cy, Cy Forks, uh, with Nightmask standing in sort of a star field with some crazy Lovecraftian monsters behind him. Um, it doesn't really tie into the story. It's just sort of an evocative dreamscape kind of uh, image from uh, the artist from today's uh, issue. Did Bear. someone say Cyforce? <laughs> you might have been running from Cyforce. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Um, so we'll dive right into uh, the opening page is not a splash page. Um, the, uh, the multi-panel pages start right off and they don't let up. But the title is there at the top of the first page, Something More Than Night. Um, that's a reference for something that it, it, it went right by me. So Yeah, I had a hard time. Like best I could come up with is there was a book around that time titled that, but it didn't seem relatable. Interesting. It's uh, written again by Roy and Dan Thomas, uh, husband and wife team. And penciled by Michael Bear, as it's written here. But in that um, blurb we had, it was Mike Hernandez. Confusing? Mike Bear is Mike Hernandez's pen name. Oh. Apparently, he's published under both. And I thought, I was thinking of someone else that maybe a Blair or something. But uh, no, so he, it really is Mike Hernandez Bear who's done the penciling. He later got uh, a little more well-known for doing inking, apparently. And uh, you can kind of see um, similarities to the inking job he did on Identity Crisis once I sort of got that connection. Oh, okay. Was Identity Crisis filled with butts? <laughs> it wasn't filled with this many butts, but uh, it had, uh, I think it was Rags Morales doing the uh, penciling and pretty tight on penciling and inking in that one, as I recall. The story, well, yeah. Anyway, back to the eighties. <laughs> um, anchor for this is Pablo Marcos, who and uh, letterer Janice Chang, Chiang, who is, I believe, still on Twitter. Um, an interesting uh, uh, industry, uh, long-standing um, career woman. Okay. Anyway. Um, so let's see, we start off with, as you say, butts. Um, <laughs> Lita Mercado and Teddy uh, Remsen in um, the workout room under the Ballad Clinic. It's, uh, it's a pretty big room. It's, uh, I don't know if it's as big as the Sanctuary's workout uh, gym, but uh, you, you get some nice uh, sort of um, long shots of the, the characters and um, they're dressed rather provocatively. Um, in their um, 80s um, workout outfits. Um, spandex, I guess, was started at that time. And um, Lita is, of course, leading Teddy in some exercises and sort of commanding her to, to keep going. Teddy's doing uh, some arm curls, I think. And uh, she, Lita's telling her that she's not going to get over-muscled. She's... Uh, uh, doesn't uh, she'll just have uh, strength, not uh, you know a muscly Schwarzeneggerine look. So 
She's like, uh, not without the male hormones. And speaking of male hormones, where's yeah. that cocky brother of yours, Chica? <laughs> so we get some beefcake too, right? We got like, a rent. yeah, he, he always comes wears in a and shirt and his short shorts. <laughs> he's always in a half shirt now. I don't understand what's going on in Night Mask, but it's, uh, you know, a little something for the ladies as Keith comes in and, uh, immediately uh, takes a head spin at Lita's outfit and trips over a dumbbell and goes right onto his uh, keister, as they say. Ever wonder why they call him dumbbells? Uh, not that Lita Mercado is not enough of a distraction to classify as a major, major menace to navigation. Um, nothing bruised but my ego, your ego, huh? Well, at least now I know where you keep it. Um, <laughs> Um, they Lita goes ahead to ask them out to dinner that night. Um, he starts doing some uh weight training and is extremely uh distracted by Lita's presence, but um, she uh she tells him that she's coming to they'd be coming to her parents' place. And that Teddy is going uh, as well. So much for my hot date. <laughs> it's kind of like, a, like the pretty girl is like, hey, you want to come with me to the coffee shop? And you're like, yeah. And then she gets yeah. really excited. It's like, yeah, I'm meeting my boyfriend there. I'm like, oh. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like that. Except she's just inviting his sister and everybody else that happens to be in the room, basically. <laughs> yeah. So Dr. Ballad comes by. I hired you because you are a hard taskmaster, Lita. Um, so she uh, talks about, uh, she keeps him in, Keith in shape for his night mask activities and uh, invites Dr. Ballad too. And he demurs, he says he's got a seminar or a lecture to attend. And in fact, that he's giving it. Insomnia, its causes and cures. Uh, okay, so Keith uh, keeps working out, and uh, we segue to um, that evening where um, the Ted, it says Teddy and I have trouble finding the Mercado House. It's an older section of Washington they call Adam Morgan. Apparently, according to Google, it's Adams Morgan, but it is a real neighborhood of Washington D.C. Um, which um, they get there. And as with older buildings in the mid eighties, you don't have ADA compliance, certainly not with personal houses. So Keith ends up having to carry Teddy up the stairs to their uh, front door. I bet this is one time you miss a wheelchair ramp more than I do, Keith. It's not your fault, squirt. So they get up to the top of the stairs and introduce themselves to Lita's parents. Ah, oh, you must be Lita's parents. Yes, please come in. Uh, Lita goes to get the wheelchair out of the car and Teddy and Keith immediately notice she's in a bad mood or something. So then uh, it's a little confusing uh, conversation between Keith and Lita's father. Estrelita tells us you work at the clinic too, Keith. Good job for one so young, no? I'm not really that young, sir. I'm 18. Um, According to your podcasters, that's pretty young, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a little strange because like uh, new characters are introduced, but like you don't get like a you don't get a good front shot face view. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're just sort of seen from behind in the first panel. And then we like go back to the other characters and there's like a long shot where he's talking to the father. And the, the thing is, Keith is saying, no, I'm not that young and blah, blah, blah. And it's the father, I guess, is saying, what? I'm sorry, Keith. I did not hear what I was. I did not hear. I was thinking about something. I think that, you know, like they're, they're trying to key us in that there's like something going on with the family and they're all kind of distracted or upset. But like the the dialogue doesn't help us too much. <laughs> yeah. And I think the, it, it took me a minute, but I think that the mention of they had trouble finding the house and the older section, blah, blah, blah. It's like, why would you mention that? But, but I think it, there is sort of a, a reason for that later in the story. Right. It's just uh, kind of weak. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I appreciate some local color, but yeah, I guess it does come up uh, again a little later, so we'll hang on for that. Um, let's see, Lita brings Teddy's wheelchair up, and the, uh, Keith goes to take a look at some photos on the wall, and oh, here's a one of Lita when she was six or something. But who's the little boy in the baseball cap? That's Frank, Estralita's brother, the baby of the family. Yeah. They don't really seem to want to talk to about him. And uh, Keith is like, mm, they never mentioned this before. But uh, it's too late. Mrs. Mercado comes out. All right, everybody. Arroz con pollo. Sit and eat. Which I am, uh, I'm told that means uh, rice with chicken. Chicken and rice, yeah. Though it looks like a steaming pile of nanites or something. It's just <laughs> gray stuff in a round bowl. Yeah, I mean, they sort of talk up this meal and like her cooking as uh, in the next page as if uh, Lita was um, kind of chubby when she lived at home and was constantly being stuffed with uh, food. So you get the feeling this is like a Thanksgiving feast, but it doesn't really look that great from the, the view we have. I don't know. But she it says, does not. <laughs> yeah. She says that uh, Lita's been on her own. She's had her own apartment for several years now. I, I mean, this is just me, but I'm, I keep trying to do the math on how old Lita is to see how realistic it is that Keith is, you know, mooning over her. So she was six and her brother was a little boy. So that's not too different. And then she says, it's hard to believe he's only a year younger than you, Keith. So that puts him at like within like her at like max 23, I'm thinking. Oh, okay. It's just, but it's like, was she in school for a while on her own or did she move out on her for a while? Because I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. We, we might've paid more attention to it than they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean the writers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And apparently the editors. Like, yeah, I'm over here doing the like half your age plus seven. Um, wait a second. Uh, <laughs> mm, uh, I mean, we, we, I, it, they don't go into it too much, but I mean, Keith has kind of had his eye on Lita for a while, and we uh mostly think she's um a good side character, but that's uh it for now. Um, getting back to the dinner, 
they they are continue to talk and kind of badmouth their little brother, and suddenly, bam, a shot rings out. Por Dios, what was that? <laughs> a gunshot. Everybody hit the deck. Teddy. All right, Keith, I'm down. I'm down. And we get a rather awkward view of Lita. Didn't I tell you this would happen, mother? Didn't I? It's not really the time, Lita. <laughs> Did Keith just like blast Teddy onto the ground or like, am I misinterpreting that? <laughs> I, I'm not sure if that, that's like him jumping for her and she's twi- like sort of pushed herself down over. I don't know. Yeah, it could go either way. He may have like immediately leaped to throw her to the floor. Um, but so let's see, they, they're, they're all, oh, well, it was just one shot. There's some guys out there, some kind of free for all. Keith runs for the door and heads down the stairs. Keith, come back. One of them has a gun. Keith. <laughs> Overestimating your abilities there, Remsen. Not bulletproof in the real world there, Keith. Um, so we get, I'll kill you for that, man. You and what army, Mercado? So these uh, two guys are struggling. And uh, apparently the, the, one of them gets scared when the other uh, people come down the stairs from uh, the house, including uh, Lita's father. I was only trying to protect you, son. At least they're gone now, but they'll be back. They wanted to put the fear of God into me by terrorizing my family. I know those fatos. Do you, Frank? (laughs) Random bald guy shows up. Is this cop in a skull cap, apparently. He's like, glad to hear it. You can identify them for me. You. I don't want, he doesn't want any part of any gang, Sergeant Sanchez. Um. That's like two pounds, man. Couldn't Sergeant Sanchez been chasing the guys that were running away? <laughs> You'd almost think it it is the guy that ran off and like he just went around the other side and like put a skull cap on. Now I'm the cop who's chasing the criminal you just let get away. I don't know. Okay. Um he's uh he's been on the anti-gang duty for a few years, and he talks about how the kids all keep us code of silence and he accuses frank Lita's brother of being a card carrying member of the potomac sharks that's not a very menacing gang nickname it is not at all (laughs) it sounds like a minor league hockey team (laughs) (laughs) i was just thinking it was the uh the sharks and the jets from west side story yeah well i mean their their fights are about as deadly as that but (laughs) Like, you got a gun and you're trying to menace the kid, but you run away when his dad shows up? Yeah, man. Okay. He wanted to menace his dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. It gets weirder as we go along. So, not just the dreams. So, uh, don't we haven't got to a dream yet. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's the dinner party to, turned so like hallucinatorial at once. He's like, uh, please don't protect our people, not our people. We're going to just hassling. So get off my case. Um, so the cop tells him, you know, remember, you know, I'm Puerto Rican too. Okay. Just cool it. So uh, puts Frank in his place, kind of. He storms inside 
And uh, Mrs. Mercado just thinks to herself, Nuestro Padre. Um, our father, I guess. Yes. So um, Sergeant Sanchez talks to uh, the rest of the family. Did you see who fired the shot? No, no one saw anything. I don't know anything. Okay. Well, just let me know if anything comes up. So they go upstairs. The parents go to bed. And I guess Frank has also gone to bed. They talk for to Lita for a while. And she tells us for like the next half hour, Lita fills us in on her baby brother. Bad student, the wrong friends, the way he could never quite seem to hold a job. And uh, Teddy and Keith can kind of tell when they're, you know, being asked for some extracurricular uh, work, I guess. You've been stalling, haven't you? Waiting for Frank to fall asleep? I guess I have. Well, if that's what you want, Lita, we'll give it a try. <laughs> so <laughs> Keith jumps into action by falling asleep on the couch. So what's his move here, do you think? Like, trying to find the inner reason why he's in a gang? Through Basically, the like dream he's having right now? Huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I... So Keith isn't a psychic. He can only sort of investigate what's going on in people with, by looking at their dreams. So it's not like having, I don't know, Wayne from Force kind of just read their mind. Can we can Wayne do that? I'm not sure. I don't think he can. I think, yeah, no. So, I mean, to investigate what's bothering someone, if there's like some deeper motivation, why they're acting a, a weird way or something. So even though Lita thinks, you know, he's always been like this, they think. Maybe we can get some greater insight into what's going on with Frank now, I guess. So, poof. So this is what Frank Mercado dreams about. Dream nightmares, more like it. This is kind of a weird dreamscape. Um, yeah, as Andy just said, um, it's like a Grateful Dead logo, sort of mirrored and flipped around so that it's completely unreadable. And then there's a lot of logos for um, companies and I don't know, uh, just regular signs that you see in everyday life, except they're all sort of misspelled and flipped around or something like that. Where the heck is Lita's brother? Why are all of these weird signs all over the place shifting in and out of focus? Um, Oh, there's Frank, caught by a bunch of tentacles from nowhere. Yeah. What? That's always happening. Yeah, he, he he's, um, he's held down by something, and Keith helps him get out, and but he's still kind of lost in this uh, dreamscape. And Keith starts getting wrapped up with the tentacles, so he asks... Teddy to concentrate and feed her some of him some of her willpower, and then he uh, lights up with um, the blast from his hand that he had last issue. So, so we got a little Wonder Twin power activating. Yeah, it's not quite as good as having the two night masks working together, which uh, honestly sounds pretty good. But um, he's got like some uh, upgrade in his power so he can uh, 
look forward to more of that. So meanwhile, Frank Mercado is um, asking signs. Uh, which way is out of here? He, I don't know what to do. This way, Mercado. No, this way, stupid. All these sort of, I don't know, they're kind of like the uh, Queen's Guardsmen in Alice in Wonderland where they're like made of playing card. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then there's a sign for the trustworthy. Yeah. They all seem to be lying to him. And then there's a poster for Top Gun, which was a very popular movie at the time. Still feels kind of random. Uh, at least it's recognizable. I don't know. It's like, oh, yeah, it's my favorite movie. Um, Next to MasterCard. <laughs> the, uh, getting close to the end, suddenly Frank is confronted by several giants who have animal faces. And they're telling him, hang with us, man. We'll take care of you just like we always have. Right, guys? Um, no dishwashing yard work for us. That's chump change. we got better ways of making brocas, which I'm helpfully informed is money. So, Spanish words we didn't have to look up. Ah, thank you, editorial. The, <laughs> the um, characters are not sharks, though. They're animal heads, but they're not sharks. So, mm. But you're one of us now, Frank, one of the Potomac sharks. Come on in, man. The water's fine. So Frank's like, I'm going to get back involved with this horrible gang. And Keith's like, I got to get out of this dream because he's waking up now. So Teddy sort of pulls him out, but it's apparently a rough landing. But they seem okay. And he just says, Keith says, it's your brother I'm worried about, Lita. All these bizarre signs and symbols with no way out. Anyway, suddenly a, a shout from outside is heard. Showdown time, Frank. The Potomac, Potomac Sharks are calling you out. So <laughs> they uh, they head Mad down. Dog might be their goalie. <laughs> I'm not too surprised when the gang turns out to be kind, look kind of familiar, especially the leader. He had an animal head in the guy's dream. I don't know what you think that looks familiar, but he's got a neck beard. <laughs> he's, you know, I, I kept trying to think who that reminds me of. I don't know. The, the, it's like Rasputin. I don't know. He's bald. He's got a long beard, um, a vest. I don't know. Let me guess. You're a mad dog, right? What's it to you, punk? These are our streets. Is he supposed to also be Puerto Rican? I don't know. Well, uh, we've got business with Frank. Um, Lita is calling the cops. Calm down, Chica. God, doesn't Sanchez ever enter his phone down to the police station? Um, Frank upstairs actually cuts the phone line. Por Dios, the line's gone dead. No cops, Lita. This is between me and Mad Dog. Um, then we get... Everyone goes outside and uh, Frank is headed towards Mad Dog, but Lita body checks him. Let go of me, Lita. Don't make me hurt you. And uh, this is also confusing. Mad Dog comes over. You got a stupid sister, Frank. Anybody who raps me pays in blood. And he's got a knife out and it's kind of off panel, so you can't see what he's doing, but 
there's an ah, and then Lita's lying there on the ground. Yeah, I mean, it, she could be totally dead on this panel. It's just hard, so hard to tell what actually happened. Yeah. So uh, Frank says, I'll kill you for this man. And Mad Dog tells him to come with them. There's, uh, okay, over on the next page, I think it's Keith kicking a uh, sort of karate chop kicking a guy who's holding him, or is that uh, Frank kicking Mad Dog? (laughs) Uh, Looking at it for the third time, I think it's Keith kicking Mad Dog. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, one's got, Keith has got an orange shirt and yeah, it's all messed up. The the guy who's holding him also has a vest like Mad Dog. So that's the thing. The guy who's getting kicked looks like Mad Dog's color, but the guy who's doing the kicking looks like Keith's color. Let's let's just Uh, say a fight ensues. Fight ensues, yes. (laughs) So then there's, yeah, the one of the other sharks is uh, got a gun. I'm going to blast the karate kid here. Go on and shoot, Carlos. Might put a hole through this piece of slime too. And then there's a panel with another R and a um, glowing circle, which I think means the shot rings out. I have no um, idea what's going on here. You're, you're a hero for trying to decode this mess. <laughs> yes. Well, in the next panel, there's a big crack. Which is what you usually expect with a bullet. Yeah. Okay. But everyone's like, I don't know where the bullet went. I don't know what happened. But somehow Keith has, has like gotten the gun away from whoever this uh, Carlos was. He goes over, um, checks. I know who, who's Mad Dog's run away. Lita's on the ground and she says, I'll be okay, Frank. I just, uh, it's just my arm. Oh. So they, they decide um, they'll take Lita to the hospital and Frank, Lita and Keith get into, and I guess Teddy get into Keith's car and they, they're sort of holding Lita together and looking for the hospital. They give him um, a map and are looking for a place called Sibley Hospital, which I looked um, on the current map of Washington, D.C. It's actually quite a ways away from Adams Morgan, but maybe not at that time. I don't know. Um, so the Frank has got the map and he's supposed to be navigating them, but they're like, which way is uh, 16th Street, Frank? Uh, I'm not sure, man. Um, that's, uh, yeah, I think we're headed the right way. You think the hospital must be on the map. Can't you find it? So they turn around a few times. They're not getting anywhere. Finally, Keith pulls over and looks at it himself. He's like, okay, put it away, Frank. Oh, I should have guessed from that dream what Frank's problem really was. Now I know. So they get to the emergency room. They take Lita inside. Teddy Wits in the car. And then Frank storms back outside and grabs the car and starts driving off. Keith jumps on the back and is just hanging on. And apparently they go for quite a ways doing that. So Frank's not too concerned about Keith. 
Anyway, he gets to a, oh, it's Lucian's car. It's pretty nice. I think it's a Mercedes. Yeah, I was going to say, what? how did uh, Ramson get a Mercedes convertible? Mm. The uh, Frank knows exactly where to go to find Mad Dog, who now has a gun. And he runs off to confront him. Buenas noches, Frank. Been expecting you. Um, Frank and Mad Dog go at it fist. Mano a mano to the death. Keith grabs the gun since while they're preoccupied and they're tearing each other apart. Finally, I think uh, Frank knocks Mad Dog out and then from behind, Keith knocks Frank out. Sorry, Frank. Um, (laughs) It's time to use my superpower again and I've got to make sure everyone's unconscious first. So I think uh, the real story was Keith couldn't figure out who was who in this fight either. <laughs> so then he accidentally knocked him out. Uh, so we get back into the dream world of Frank Mercado. Um, nothing quite as uh, cryptic this time. Um, more of these signs are fighting him. Stop fighting it, you brainless moron. I'm not brainless. I'm not. I, I just don't understand all these signs. That's all. So help me. You can help yourself, Frank. Ah, finally, the uh, objectivist uh, answered superhero. You should help yourself, man. That's, you know, pull yourself by, by your bootstraps. Really getting tired of saving you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yes. now, Keith uh, goes down and clobbers some of these monsters. Um, but he tells them, he tells Frank, uh, don't believe it, Frank. It's never too late to learn. And Frank admits, I can't read. Secret shame. <laughs> That's what the story was about. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. It makes it kind of rough. Only if you want to make a whole job or make something of yourself. That's all. I get so tired of being ashamed all the time. There's no shame in being illiterate, Frank, only in letting yourself stay that way, especially when so many people love you and want to help you out of this place. So they somehow put us like a vision of Lita up in the sky for him. It's like, my sister, I let her down. His, his parents, my parents, they'll never let me. And even <laughs> Teddy, for some reason. Oh, okay. I, I, I guess I can do that anyway. Oh, and then a vision of Sergeant Sanchez. Hey, Frank, would you get back to me? Give me a call, okay? Okay. (laughs) Why is Sergeant Sanchez there? (laughs) In my dreams, man. Yeah, maybe Teddy put him there because uh, Teddy yanks uh, Keith out and... uh, he wakes up in time to see Sanchez lying, um, standing over Frank and Mad Dog still asleep. And he's telling Frank, Hi, welcome back, Frank. You, uh, uh, funny, uh, funny time for a nap. And uh, Frank starts talking about how uh, he did want to quit the Potomac Sharks, that they, he knew they robbed a liquor store and they were scared he was going to rat on them. Um, 
that answers maybe the question I had because when Mad Dog stabs Lita, he says, anybody who wraps me pays in blood. Wraps? So I, I thought the verb. So I thought like when he Frank's talking here about I couldn't rat with a T instead of rap with a P. I thought maybe that that's what it was supposed to be. Anybody who rats on me. Who anybody who rats me out. I maybe that's some uh, 87 Puerto Rican gang slang we're just not familiar with. It would be even better if like Sergeant Sa- Sanchez was like wasn't like a young cool cop he was like an older square cop who's always like come on frank let's rap like you kids do come on (laughs) okay whatever Uh dude so with frank uh confessing all to sergeant sanchez um he looks over at keith and is like who apologizes for hitting him in the back of the head with a gun he's like maybe you knocked a little sense into it you or somebody a whole lot like you in this dream i had Wow. Epilogue. There's only half a page. So um, everybody buys Frank's story and it's not long before he starts hanging out at the ballad clinic. And the ironic thing is that he's getting tutored by Teddy and um, kind of flirting with her in this last scene. Um, So they said Frank was 17. Teddy in the original pitch was supposed to be like 13, but I don't think she's ever really been played that way. So I'd say 15, 16, right? Yeah, I think so. So 17 year old boy and uh, Teddy, that's fine. Okay. So they, uh, Keith and Lita come by and say, Ooh, there's a new Chuck Norris flick playing downtown. You two want to catch a break and take it? No, thanks, guys. After I finish this chapter, I'm taking my coach out for a burger. So my kid sister gets a date with a Mercado before I do. Figures. Womp, womp. <laughs> Weird kind of a relationship we got going on. Here. Uh, what to say about Nightmass number seven? I don't know. There's a the really cool chip of... Chips Ahoy Maze on the next page. I did enjoy that. Um, there's again no no um, mailbag, so no no clue for what's coming next either. No, we always bothers to... me when it does that. Yeah, well, last week they said they were going to find out about Lita Mercado, which we kind of found out about Lita Mercado's family, but maybe that wasn't really what I wanted to know about her. I don't know. Uh, yeah. We were kind of hoping for more kick-ass action from Lita herself. But she, yeah, she just kind of like fell over and was like, oh no. And like just didn't seem it seemed really out of character after like, you know, those first couple of pages of like joking and working out kind of stuff seemed kind of okay. And then she just turned into kind of like a shrinking violet or something, right? Is that the right term for it? It's just kind of weak and yeah, and this may, I don't know if this is like a 80s female character trope or something. Like they can kind of lead them up to the edge of being badass, but they can't sort of cross that bridge just yet. I don't know. There's a um, 
I would say that our vision of Leader Mercado is much more action oriented. I guess. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we learn more about her family. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or it's the Roy and Dan Thomas ethnic stereotype uh, thing, but the, um, so the second issue in a row where you've got, uh, oh, we've got Indians, I guess they're, uh, you know, having an Indian related dream. Oh, you've, you're Hispanic. You must have a gang, a guy struggling with gang membership in your family. I mean, let's be honest. Tyrone and Kathy didn't have this kind of uh, problem when they went home in uh, Cyforce. So, yeah. When when I first read it, I was pretty sure they were just they were going to go like the drug angle because I mean they've already kind of done that, but you know, Sergeant Useless kind of gave a comment of like when he gets sober, right? And then he had this yeah. psychedelic Grateful Dead kind of trippy dream. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. The green, the Grateful Dead thing seemed like, yeah, you're telling me he has a drug problem. I think the artist just wanted to write to just draw that. Well, it's it's I don't know. It's a very weird writing thing. Like even written out front ways, you know, it takes you a second to to read it because you're kind of decoding some very fanciful letter forms but um yeah it really yeah. stood out on the well i mean it, it was kind I mean, of that page yeah, yeah it just stood out, so out at like, you yeah grabbed my attention but then it didn't actually mean anything As, yeah that's <laughs> good distraction there man yeah it's like it jumps out at you and leads you nowhere okay thanks um so yeah it was a great mystery I mean, you kind of, it's not too hard to, to figure out yourself as you're reading along. So aside from this huge distraction, um, okay. Um, the art is, I mean, the figure work is good. The faces, expressions, things like that. Action, yeah, really kind of muddy and uh, difficult to sort of see who's doing what to who. So that part's a little bit of a downer. Yeah, just kind of like the basic art, artistic storytelling is all kind of mixed up, you know, just like introducing characters kind of off panel and, you know, colored, shadowed and, you know. Yeah. It's really yeah. hard to keep everybody straight, you know, so it's, there's and there's too many panels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's like a nine panel grid and then there'll be, 16 panels i can't even count it sometimes um it's a Everybody very just like pops in like crazy plot conveniently but like not very realistically it's like the gang violence happens and then the the, the sergeant comes in and scolds them and then as soon as he disappears the gangs come back and it's like ah uh... yeah it's like uh I don't know. You can do tests to see who fired a gun. If you've got like more than one cop in the neighborhood, I guess you could round up a few of these guys and see who was firing a gun that night. Um, is is illiteracy really like a reason to go into a life of crime? I don't know. <laughs> I like the fact that so Nightmask figures it out, right? Then rescues him from the gang guy, or you know 
sort of, right? Because he kind of handled it himself. But like, instead of confronting him in real life about his illiteracy and mentioning it, he has to club him over the head to knock him <laughs> out and then talk to him about it in his dream instead. Like, <laughs> is there a benefit to that? I don't know about. Like, here's a concussion. And now let's talk about how you can't read. Man, I don't know. I like to think my dream self is somewhat better looking and perhaps has a nicer voice. So maybe it'd be more convincing than just regular me. I don't know. Yeah. And did he kind of just like out himself as Night Mask then to the brother? Because like, yeah. like they're holding the same conversation kind of thing or... He's, he's a little too vague about it, um, but I don't know. He works with Lita or, or you know, if, if uh, Frank starts coming over to the clinic all the time, it's not going to take him long to figure out what's going on since Lita um, will tell him like, oh yeah, he can read, he can go into your dreams. He looks like this. You mean the guy I saw who told me to learn to read? That was, that was Keith? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's not like he's going to be reading the research notes. <laughs> it's true he's definitely not a spy planted by the gnome i can tell you that <laughs> is the gnome uh, still in this story i haven't i don't remember it <laughs> i'm gonna just say no by the way um no gnome there's a, a interesting panel it's like a, a female figure that's cut off. I can't quite figure out if that's supposed to be some like decoration in the Mercado's home or something. Um, well, lost your audio a little bit there as you're leaning around. I, I think the, like the direction towards the mic is important. But, but yeah, I, that one stood out to me as well because like they just came out of the dream, but then there's this weird dream-like you know, bust figure. But I guess it just must be like a, a sculpture in their house that the artist decided to draw in, in the foreground. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately when there's not page numbers, it's difficult for us to like point out what we're talking about. Too. Yeah. It's kind of right. It's, it's right on the staple. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, like, Hey, remember when I was drawing all these butts, <laughs> let's draw some other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he, um, I mean, overall, yeah, there's, there's a little sort of, for every good point, there's a sort of a drawback in terms of, you know, technically proficient, but then storytelling unclear and things. Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. and the writing um, seems a little cliched, to be honest, you know, like I was saying, um, oh, you're a minority? Well, here's, a, here's a gang story for you. But I, I mean, it's, I give it a sort of the pros and cons like balance each other out for me. So I, my grade, it's about a B. B, okay. Uh, I, I think the best I can do is C plus. Wow. <laughs> I know how to fix this story though. Okay. So like, there's we we talked about some problematic parts right but ultimately like they, they get introduced to by the family you know by the, to introduce to the younger brother with gang violence right but but it's never really feels that threatening like there's a gunshot but then they're just kind of having a scuffle fist fight right you know he stabs lita slashes her but then he kind of tosses away the knife right so like like 
Keith runs out, right? Not a whole lot of concern for his safety after there's been a, you know, a gunshot, right? He should be terrified. But um, if they were children, I think it would work better, right? If her younger brother was really young, but still kind of involved in a gang and they're just a bunch of kids, right? And that way Keith is not so intimidated, even though they're a little dangerous kind of thing. They would explain why they run away when the dad comes out, like, oh, let's cheese it. His dad's coming out, right? Because why would these tough gang members do that, right? And then I think, you know, you could be a little more forgiving for a, you know, a younger kid who's maybe 14 or something like that, rather than like a 17-year-old who just looks like a man in the drawings. Yeah, that's, everyone, I don't know, could be like college age, yeah. Yeah, and then he he could- Mad Dog is like 40 though. Right, so you're a little more sympathetic to him instead of just some random dude. I think that would have made it better. Okay. That's an interesting way to go. I hadn't thought of it. Nice. I was late. just thinking more Lita and more butts, but you know. I, well, yeah, you would have needed I'll a I'll concur that. that you're. <laughs> you would like to you wanna... see more butts? <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, Lita needed to stay as the tough older sister, too, though, because. You know, I was very much looking forward to a Lita Mercado-centric issue, but we got kind of a lame one. Yeah, it's like, you know, we were looking forward to a cool spitfire and instead uh, she's, she gets sidelined. It's, uh, it's going on in the new universe. But uh, this is with, let me point out again, a husband and wife writing team. So it's not like no one knows what a woman acts like or uh, anyway um so i don't know the uh overall um there's also no b plot so it feels a bit thin and um i'm not sure i don't think roy is roy thomas is again on again next issue maybe comes back for issues later Um, yeah i know he does more issues but i think that they're not perfectly sequential so so since we don't have a next issue and we don't know quite what we're looking forward to, we don't know whether to be optimistic or uh, pessimistic. But, uh. <laughs> I'm still always going optimistic on that side of things because <laughs> why not, right? Sure, why not? That's the new universe. There's, there could always be another writer around the corner that does something well. Yeah, that's true. There's, uh, I mean... The, the right team at the right time can really surprise you. Like we've seen a couple of those already. So. Yeah. So the comic is worth it for the, for the uh, workout montage pages, if nothing else. So, As our, as our boy would say, ah, that body. <laughs> Except it's, they're all in pretty good shape. So, you know, young people, uh, uh, good figure work. Anyway. Fair enough. Shall we take a break? All right, let's take a break and come back with Cyforce.
right, welcome back to the podcast. Time to talk about Cyforce number seven. Cyforce. Someone talking about Cyforce over there. <laughs> always, always with the Cyforce. All right, so um, Cyforce seven cover date May eighty seven. Though it actually came out around January twenty seventh in nineteen eighty seven. Uh, we've got a nice cover by Mark Texera, who's done quite a bit of New Universe work, as it turns out. Um, with an exploding hot dog stand. <laughs> so yeah. gonna... oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so this is, uh, when I first uh, saw this, like in passing, uh, I, I was hoping this was like Michael, like versus his family or something, like abusive stepdad kind of or something. But we'll see if it's a much different situation as we get into the book. But can't have two characters with abusive stepdads. Well, come on, you can have at least three I, at this point. I, Tyrone's dad's great, and uh, Kathy's is very supportive, but the others, who knows? You know? Just because Wayne's the only maladjusted one. <laughs> the Wayne's Scuzz team up is something that needs to happen. Well, they probably just hate each other. But yeah, so yeah, Michael Crawley's on the cover. You know, we got some rare cover word balloons of let go of her creep or you're next. And he's kind of menacingly, you know, blowing up a hot dog stand. Uh, that actually does make sense later <laughs> uh, as there's another new universe classic generic 80s goon. Uh, looks like he's holding some woman hostage and there's a bunch a big crowd. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not uh, cool or his game. No, it might, it might as well be, though. They, they look pretty similar. <laughs> and the new universe logo on the top is yellow. I think I forgot to say the night mask logo was kind of a mauve. Light blue, anyway. We'll call it light blue. Yeah, so, it was nice. Good, colorful week here in the universe. So, opening the book, right? So, our uh, writer is... Uh, Michelini, David Michelini, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Uh, penciler Bob Hall, inker Romeo Tangal. Our cover title is Deadly Piper. So Pied Piper kind of action there. And there's, um, that's what I assume <laughs> the quote is from. I, I'm guilty of not looking it up. Uh, it's, it's a band that was out at that time. Uh, that's all I really bothered to double check, but uh, they... They were in eighties. Um, what is it? it? Combines elements of rock, reggae, ska, and folk music. Oh. So maybe maybe it's not terrible. I don't know. It's no uh, drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. I think that one's more fun. Check out those old kickers issues for that one. Um, but yeah, it opens with a big splash page of kind of like a creepy pimp looking guy in a purple suit. Uh, the the proportions throw me off here because it looks sh- like he's just kind of a short guy, but he's also drawn kind of huge. Yeah, that's like the king kind of is is hefty. We'll say. Uh, yeah, he looks a bit like uh, the kingpin for, in terms of proportions, like stocky and yeah. Uh, Hefty, 
and he's definitely going for sleazy. He's got like the open shirt and sort of a 70s vibe with the uh, leisure suit kind of. Yeah, I think maybe it's just like the proportion of the backgrounds throwing me off or something, but um, basically he's making some kind of questionable proposition to the, the kids, right? So they've made it to Seattle, uh, last issue, um, They've had, had yet another run-in with bullies at the sanctuary and uh, basically got kicked out and then, you know, took off quick before, uh, um, before anybody could kind of second guess it. But, but yeah, they're, they've bailed and made it to Seattle and maybe things aren't going so well. Um, but yeah, he kind of propositions some kind of deal for them. Um, Michael Crawley is our youngest character. He's kind of you know, interested and is like, oh, wow, that's really nice of you. It's like this creep guy uh, until Wayne steps in and kind of like, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, back off Roach. If we wanted to party with crud, we'd look for a sewer. So nice job. <laughs> what? <laughs> These are my streets, kid. Don't, what, don't you watch your mouth. You could be the one getting flushed. Uh, okay. <laughs> So yeah, the, the pimp guy kind of takes it out on his driver in kind of a cartoonish way, and he's mad at him for having an Iron Man comic book, which is kind of funny. Um, but as is a little bit the theme of this book, like it's it's kind of cartoonish, um, although we're dealing with some more heavy adult themes later on too. So it's it's an odd uh, uh, dichotomy there. Uh, the art is a little more cartoony than I'm used to, but not too much. Um, yeah, yeah the, let me see. Let me back up a bit. The writer, David Michelini, I think was on Iron Man at the time. Oh, really? He was, um, he had a good run there with maybe, uh, I want to say Bob Layton. Because I thought at, the, at first it was the two guys, it was both of them together. But Bob Hall, I guess, was... Um, around for a while and ended up doing some work with Valiant too. So he was kind of, um, you know, pals with with the old gang that went along with Shooter. But um, okay. it seems like an inside joke of like, haha, my other title. Haha, my what? My other title. Iron oh, Man. yeah. And if you can't get Bob Layton, just get someone else that's a Bob to draw it. Yeah. Like you say, it's it's a bit cartoony, yeah. In some ways, um, it's a little more Marvel universe than New Universe, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's it's very like um, I don't know, somehow distinct from the previous. Uh, it was a little more muddy before, but it was kind of you'd gotten used to it in a way, and so this like clear um draftsmanship is kind of hard to to go along with yeah anyway so yeah so the i mean wayne is probably their go-to at this point for someone with some kind of street smarts the rest are kind of like kids or illegal immigrants from russia um <laughs> who are not really used to uh, being out there on their own, but yeah, basically they're broke. Uh, Tyrone and to... Kathleen both like have like pretty uh, nice uh, upbringings. Yeah. Yeah. So not, uh, 
not used to being like wandering the streets on your own kind of stuff. Um, so they run into another guy uh, who's names himself Skits, and he snips a lot as, as in probably a Coke user, <laughs> um, who tells them about, about a place where they can get some free food and some help. And um, it's the sanctuary, <laughs> which is a little funny. Um, so they're at first confused and then, you know, questioning whether or not they had heard from Colby Shaw, like there are, were there other sanctuaries? Um, which is really should have listened more carefully when she was talking about the other sanctuaries. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a little strange to be headed back to the same sort of situation perhaps, but uh, as our uh, teaser for this one turned out to be, uh, or the teaser mentioned that this is going to be no sanctuary at all. So it wouldn't be a good comic if there wasn't some conflict. Um, but Wayne wisely <laughs> uses his psychic power to uh, push skits to giving their money back. So he like took their last $2.28 for the advice <laughs> and he kind of stole it back, um, which honestly, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, I, I still always love Kathy's dialogue. She gives us a gross me up, Wayne. You pushed him to give back the money. I hate using my telekinesis power at all, let alone for such a juvie stunt. <laughs> juvie. Yeah, I guess. Maybe maybe she is street smart after all. Yeah. I like that she still kind of calls all of their powers gross. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, I'm still like reeling over how they're like acting like Two two dollars is like all they have. That's like you know. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> nothing at this point. <laughs> wow. But where where would they have gotten money anyway? Right, they've just been living in the sanctuary and haven't had any jobs. Presumably, they spent whatever they had uh, making it up here in the first place. So, I mean, Wayne would be able to just push people to give him money, even if it wasn't his own money. So yeah. I always sort of assumed that it wouldn't be an issue for them, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a jerk, but he's not necessarily immoral, right, though? Like, I, I mean, he's, Yeah, maybe he's like, whole, yeah, that's... He's a step above, like, you know, sticking him up kind of street punk, that's for sure. So. Sure, sure. No problem, uh, you know, getting his money back uh, from a guy who was basically just kind of ripping him off. So, but anyway, so so they make it to the sanctuary or another sanctuary, which is a nice or looking another extrusion of the sanctuary pan dimensional space into <laughs> our world. Oh, <laughs> well, you think the wormhole connects here in? Uh, Along the ley line that exists in Seattle, yeah, anything's possible in the new universe. <laughs> yeah, well, well, the run, our running joke was, of course, that the sanctuary seemed to have a limitless number of rooms, even though it looked smaller than the one here. It, it just looked like a fairly large row house uh, from the outer imagery. But anyway, um, so they see some rich guy pull up. Uh, in like a nice car, kind of handsome guy walking into the sanctuary. They come in, and we are, so we're introduced to uh, Mona Fremont, uh, who's apparently helping run the thing, and uh, Doug Tanner, you know, suspiciously nice, rich-looking, fancy guy. 
Yeah, I think Kathy is dro- drooling over Doug, and it's kind of a crowd scene, so you can't quite trace her. Yeah, <laughs> word balloon, but that seemed to be. Ooh, what a hunk! I can only get, assume it's coming from. Um, yeah, the, they're both young and attractive. Mona is like, in terms of looks and niceness, a step up from Colby Shaw, certainly. Yeah, but uh, or and and we had that disappearing assistant from a while back. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> who never came back. So yeah, maybe she got transferred to another sanctuary. Oh, sh- I should have looked up that name. Yeah, you're right. Let me see. <laughs> uh, Check my, so, my. So basically, they they introduce themselves and kind of sit down. Uh, sounds like this one is run on you know, kind of like a work system. So they have to do chores in order to stick around. Uh, Kathy is not terribly excited about. Um, We get introduced to uh, another sanctuary kid, Jackie Prentice, who walks in and, you know, basically uh, Mike Crawley is immediately kind of (laughs) gaga over and stumbles over his name and that kind of stuff. And Wayne makes fun of him. Uh, but she seems nice to him, so I'm, I'm sure that'll help him get over her. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we've got a new sanctuary. Um, cut back to the goons from before, right? So it, it, we've actually got, uh, I don't think we have a name for the sleazy pimp guy yet. Mr. Flowers. Oh, okay, thank you. Oh, yeah, Mr. Flowers. There he is. I forgot to write that down. Uh, it's actually meeting... Um, skits thank you man i'm I'm dropping the ball here so mr flowers and skits too many names um are in cahoots so apparently there's something shady or some shady reason for uh skits to have sent them on to the sanctuary um but we'll learn more about that later all right so Uh, moving on, uh, the kids are at the sanctuary, kind of getting settled, doing chores. Uh, Kathy's complaining, you know, give me a break. My hands are starting to look like lobsters. It's just doing dishes. Um, and all of a sudden, pretty quickly, I mean, it's really the first day, maybe first couple of, uh, actually, no, it's the next morning, right? And uh, good old Doug Tanner is already flirting with Kathy. Uh, so, Maybe so, brown eyes, but I do enjoy my work, and I get to meet some awfully fine ladies. <laughs> you mean like me? Just <laughs> like you. 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 How old is Kathy? Do we know? I. I mean, my guesstimate's sixteen. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we've got a number. I couldn't. I don't think we do either. Survive. We had that like perfect rundown of uh, our DP7 characters in the last issue and a perfect rundown of the troubleshooters in the previous issue. We haven't had like somebody going over their dossier in a little while, I guess. Yeah. I I mean, my certainly they're played a little older here, maybe than previous issues except for michael who always seems more like 12 13 and the others like in the 15 to 17 range yeah my best yeah definitely teenagers right that that's for sure um 
but yeah, so yeah, I guess it seems like you know he's already doing his creepy thing. Michael Crawley's nickname might be creepy, but this guy is kind of a creep. Doug, creepy Tanner. Yes. Yeah, but if Kathy's into it. She has, she hasn't uh, picked up on that yet. So at this point, she's been pretty miserable. So having a, some handsome dude with a nice car giving her attention is uh, tempting, I guess. Um, so uh, Mona, the leader of the Seattle branch of the sanctuary, uh, needs somebody to do some chores and nobody's really up to it. Um, but um, Jackie, the younger student who Michael was kind of in love with, kind of volunteers. And then all of a sudden, Mike Crowley wants to go. <laughs> so um, what is it? Uh, brownie hound? <laughs> the other like brownie points is what uh, Wayne other, says. Uh, teens and i don't even think they're not even the side force teens they're all like wow look at this guy brown nosing this chick yeah well either yeah. brown nosing the boss or trying to get on this chick uh, score some time with her i don't know yeah a little bit of both perhaps <laughs> uh, two birds with one stone yeah, so Wayne walking out catches uh, our Doug Tanner uh, talking to Kathy and calling her princess. Gotta run, princess. I'll catch you later. I'll make a point of it. I, I can imagine him kind of like going, like clicking in finger guns kind of guy. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Hey, sweet cakes. I'll see you later. <laughs> oh, oh, man. So, but apparently, this is the like, you know, people should maybe listen to Wayne more issue so far. Uh, you know, I'd watch out for that jerk if I were you. There's something about him I don't like. Uh, and she flips out on him, you know. Well, you don't like he's got more money in class than you'll ever have. I can choose my own friends without your help, Wayne Tucker. Oof. Ouch. So that doesn't go over very well. Uh, he was just he was starting to soften up a little bit, trying to help out. Uh, just letting that letting Kathy through that shell for just a second and then bang. <laughs> They've been kind of together arguing a lot though in the last couple issues. So this feels like a continuance of that. Like they're kind of the really strong personalities that aren't the easiest to get along with. Everyone else is a little more go with the flow and friendly. And those two butt heads quite a bit. Yeah, Tyrone and uh, Anastasia are, like feel like they're uh, trapped in an elevator with the lock horns. Like, <laughs> that reference you might have to explain I'm sorry uh, it's like the daily strip with like it's like a one panel joke where it's like this old married couple who hate each other oh uh, okay <laughs> that now makes sense yeah. so, uh, yeah. see I went all the way out on a limb for a quick gag and it's like just collapsed underneath me yeah joke's no good if you gotta explain it so maybe funny voices now. <laughs> yes. Go back to your funny voices. <laughs> All right. Getting sucked into other people's hassles is for pinheads, as Wayne states, and uh, wanders off to whatever else he was doing. Um, so then we cut to uh, uh, the errand that the kids went running for the sanctuary. So I guess, I guess Mona runs a tighter ship and actually kind of making the kids do stuff. <laughs> besides go to school um but i 
I always love the little uh, narration boxes. Noon eases into Seattle on a westerly wind <laughs> while in a pedestrian mall beneath the world famous Space Needle. <laughs> it's so unnecessary, but I love it. I mean, they're literally staring at the Space Needle uh, in the panel. <laughs> so, yeah. There are six clouds in the sky by the Space Needle next to the tree. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's great for our listeners. I mean, if you don't have a comic in front of you, then maybe that helps paint the scene better. Yeah, I always feel like that we, we, that's kind of our job, though. So, okay. It's like they're horning in on my territory. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, there's no, you can't do any funny voices in, uh, in comics. So, you're definitely filling the void there. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, Mike Crawley and, uh, Jackie are out kind of returning from the errands. You know, they got some product placement, McDonald's French fries going on. Uh, she, she opens up to him a little bit about what her backstory is. You know, she had the, uh, she was, you know, a good kid, good grades. She had the even more perfect in the eyes of her parents' sister, apparently. Uh, she's even got a little photo of her as like a beauty queen f- photo shot. Um, and so basically, you know, she, Jackie felt like her parents loved Brenda, her sister, more um, and uh, was kind of crying for attention and eventually ended up kind of running away. Right? She let her grades slip. The parents didn't notice. She ran away and was hoping that they would come after her. And uh, although she states that she would be easy to find, it doesn't seem like they're looking. So hope maybe that's a misunderstanding. Otherwise, that's pretty horrible if your teen daughter disappears and you don't give a rip yeah yeah i don't know how how like how much of this is like jackie's point of view versus like what her parents would say but you know okay that's that's her authentic feeling so there you go that's what i would assume it's kind of that's her point of view right um but uh as they're walking we see that they're walking by a hot dog stand. So that's making us look like we're going to hit that conflict from the cover. Um, and in fact, they quite literally bump into uh, the 80s street tough dude from the cover um, who's got classic sleeveless, I guess, kind of like a jacket, vest, you know, with uh, headband. He's got nice orange hair and green kind of outfit. So he's got that carrot theme going. Um, It'd be great if he had like like a shirt said like Celtics or something, and he was like talking like a leprechaun. But uh, <laughs> Faith and Bigora, look where you're going, four eyes. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it's a bit cartoony, but not quite that far. <laughs> I guess they they, they could have owned it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, so this guy's not quite as menacing as like honestly cool from sanctuary he's basically just like watch where you're going four eyes and then he starts you know aggressively flirting with uh jackie and taking her french fries which is kind of a jerk move to be honest she didn't offer him no french fries <laughs> it's uh, uh he's peacocking i i forget those like uh, oh yeah that was like and- dude moves kind of things right right i I like that he's got like kind of like the follower guys behind him that give like the commentaries like 
Maybe we ought to invite her to join our gourmet V past, huh, Arnie? <laughs> I mean, uh, you're just embarrassing Arnie at this point, dude. I don't know. That's probably why he lashes out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, Michael gives him the classic, you better leave her alone, you know, the, the young kid who's not intimidating in the least. Of course, uh, Arnie doesn't know that he can blow things up with his mind. Um, so he just kind of shoves him onto the ground and uh, keeps pursuing uh, Jackie, uh, not ag- aggressively per se, uh, definitely in her face, but not like, not like he's going to stab somebody kind of goon. Um, and they keep talking about food for some reason. And, and Michael basically freaks out. And, and so we get an interesting new thing here. Um he closes his eyes and says no inside his head and then uses his psychic explosion blast on Arnie, um, not blowing him to, into a pile of meat chunks, as I might have imagined. Um, but basically, the, the guy cripples over like his, you know, something horrible is going on inside of his stomach, <laughs> which is interesting. Guts feel like they're being torn apart. Yeah. So, you know, with, with a moment of, of clarity, then uh, Michael's like, oh, okay, I didn't think, uh, I've never used my explosion power. I didn't think I could blow somebody up like that. Uh, I, and here I he could... references the one of the things that we were sort of crediting it as a possible influence on the creation of Cyforce, the movie Scanners, the David Bird yeah. movie, the guy's <laughs> head exploding, it's famous, yeah. But that doesn't happen. So, so you know, apparently, so he says, got to stop. The energies are already building. Have to refocus them. So maybe this is a new twist and kind of um, a new detail on his powers that we didn't know about or maybe he didn't even know about. He kind of diverts that explosion to the hot dog stand, which basically just blows sky high, like the top of it goes flying and there's like hot dogs flying through the sky. Uh, the, the goon peanut gallery says, wow, that hot dog stand just blowed up. <laughs> Pressure must have backed up in the steam box. So I, I like that they're coming up with plausible explanations for him. And uh, yeah, even Arnie's must have been a bad dog, bacteria or something. I need a beer. <laughs> so, so, okay. Yeah, I mean, Arnie and his gang seemed like also teenagers and Jackie a teenager, so... No, like it was. I forget. Maybe uh, drinking age was eighteen back then. Actually, um, but yeah, the the it was just sort of an aggressive, like flirtatious bully, rather than like yeah, pull a switchblade on you, bully. So. Yeah, definitely more more bully than criminal. Uh, but anyway, so they they kind of pack up and, and get heading back. Um, they run into um, uh, Doug on the way, you know, who's got, or kind of on the way back in, who's got his car. Um, there's a little name drop of Darlene, uh, who was a, somebody who was mentioned that was a kid at the sanctuary before, but like went away or, or went missing. Uh, so we get some more hints that Doug Tanner is kind of up to no good there. Um, yeah, but. Uh, Michael doesn't care. Oh, go ahead. 
So like the beginning of Michael and uh, Jackie walking around, they were also talking that she had some money and she was saying that, you know, she the sort of, um, oh, I'm going to be an actress and someone's loaning me money. Dougie's going to introduce me to some to some producers this afternoon and it's, you know, everything's going to be great. And I'm going to be famous and rich, and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, the... Um, Michael is sort of on cloud nine with this like peck on the cheek she gives him and then she hops in the car with the like, super sketchy guy who's giving her money and promising her to be an actress. Yeah, that never goes well. I mean, they're not in LA, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can kind of see where this is heading. I mean, there's also like the, just the aspect of like, oh, yeah, I... I yeah, I had a great time with you this afternoon. Thanks for walking me over to my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't think she sees herself as that, though. <laughs> Perhaps yeah. he does um, in a more sinister way. So, yeah, so things start to go a little bit south. So we, we, we cut to uh, later uh, evening in a recreation room. So maybe the, uh, some hints that... Um, there are there could be infinite space in this sanctuary, though I'm not sure we'll get to know it well enough. Um, I like that Wayne perhaps has already carved his name into the door there. <laughs> but oh nice. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, as, as they're hanging out, uh, Michael's going to get a drink. And so again, this is at the end of that same day. Uh, and he hears crying and comes into Jackie. Uh, sitting outside in the back weeping and kind of looking like she's been roughed up and she says you know Dougie's producer friends they wanted me to audition finger quotes there made me do things they hurt me and you know we kind of get the point here of what happened um so not good he, he runs to Stasi, uh, you know to for her to use healing to to help her out at least a little bit um and again, if, if it wasn't uh, clear uh, that horrible things have happened um, you know, after she's been healed, she says, I don't know what you did, but I do feel better, at least outside. Like, <laughs> they are real like cagey about this. The tale is told. Details are left out, but they are under nevertheless understood. Yeah. Well, I mean, we certainly don't want details in the comic, but... Uh, you know, the, the new universe is not a, like a friendly, you know, kind of place. It's, it's, it's the 80s kind of place. Um, though I think this is part of where, as a reader, you know, some of the cartoonish stuff, you know, meshing with the rapey kind of stuff starts to get a little weird. But so it goes. Yeah, yeah there's a, like a mismatch between overall tone and this storyline. I mean the the new art style is all is makes it even worse somehow. Yeah, yeah, but uh, and then we have kind of an odd scene, I think, um, you know, where our Sci Force teens, you know, again they don't call themselves that, uh, but they kind of get hey, together. Sky Force, let's spring into action. That scene <laughs> has never happened once. You get like some coordinated jackets or something. What are you, Darlene? Magna Conti. Get out of here with your coordinated jackets. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's Dasher came up with the, the uniforms. That's true. 
I mean, if like some Cyforce branded fingerless gloves for Wayne or something, they could have their own personal touch. You know, could look like a basketball uniform for uh, Tyrone. If they just like came onto the scene with doing that like finger snap thing from the Sharks and the Jets, no, nobody wants that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so so Michael's. Of course, upset. His hope girl he was kind of had a huge crush on just had a horrible experience. You know, says so we got to do something, and then everybody's kind of questioning it though. It's like, you know, what if it's it's only her word? What if it's all a mistake? Uh, maybe we should call the police on, anonymously. Um, you know, so you know they're kind of not really sure what to do. Uh, they find that. You know, they want to ask Kathy, the last member of the group, but uh, she split and actually left with Doug Tanner. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Gets me a little bit worse. Um, and initially, basically, they don't really agree, and they kind of vote to not go after Kathy, uh, which I think is interesting. I would have thought they'd be uh, uh, ready to rescue her from that creep guy, but instead it's just Michael going out alone at first, and everybody's kind of gives him a worried look because, well, he's Michael Crawley. Of course he can explode things, but he's like, what, 14 and going out to, you know, some sleazy. Yeah, this part is very weird. They're like, yeah, maybe we should do something, you know, anonymously, not us personally or anything. And then, oh yeah, let's see with Kathy. Oh, she left with the guy who like led to this horrible experience. Well, she says she can handle herself. I don't know what you expect us to do. What? Actually, bigger question. Where's Cyhawk in all this? Isn't he pretty much like psychically forced them to help each other out in these type of situations? That's right. He's he's definitely like kind of herded them together when someone needed help. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe off panel, that's what happens in this next bit here, right? So... Um, Crawley's ready to go basically walking out of the sanctuary and then the rest of the gang pulls up in the Scooby van basically I mean the sanctuary van um, they're like it literally has those flowers though I mean it does. it's orange though so it's different <laughs> uh, and, th- and they decide to go and uh, go, a- go as a team together and who let them borrow the van though that's my question they uh Wayne, Wayne and uh, Tyrone were working on the carburetor earlier. That was- oh, that's right. That's a good connection there. Yeah. Okay. So Fred, Daphne, and the gang hit the, take the Scooby van to go stop the raping movie producers. Um, I mean, Wayne, Stasi, and oh. Tyrone and Michael take the sanctuary van. Uh, uh, we'll see if what somebody. What are you gets- gonna do, Scoob? go stop the rape factory <laughs> uh like creepy mr flowers guy from the beginning gets unmasked and he's really uh colby shaw what <laughs> trying to punish you kids for leaving i don't know it's a good one yes it's definitely the scooby van uh but yeah then they drive it up to the front gate of a posh seattle suburb um there was only one Doug Tanner in the phone book, and it's which seems uh, unlikely. That sounds like a very common name, actually. 
Um, yeah. Well, I, I like the phone book reference, though. But yeah, they're like, we just looked him up in the phone book is a good, like, okay, there you go. Yeah, of course, the Terminator did it best when, like, the Terminator grabbed the phone book and basically just found the, the phone number and addresses of all of the Sarah Connors to murder. Oh, right. right. Yeah, remember when we used to just publish all of our names and addresses and phone numbers in a book and just give it to everybody? Simpler times, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, we were just talking off recording about digressing too much. So yeah, this they got a gated community uh, or a gated building with two guards. Uh, and of course, we've got a team of psychics. So Wayne can push them uh, to let them in easy. So private property, bud, turn this crate around before... You'll let us through. You won't announce us. It gives him some classic Obi-Wan mind trick stuff. And you'll be real polite about it. <laughs> Certainly, sir. Go right in. A pleasure serving you. Nice kids. <laughs> I was like that. So we get a little bit of Cyforce style team up here. So they pull up. They see the uh, Tanner's fancy red sports car. They also see the creepy pimp guy's pink long boat of a car basically uh so you know they're, they're starting to get clued in uh that they've been kind of set up for this uh you know i'll bet that skits punk is on his payroll too you're right um so they're realizing kathy's in some trouble here um, so yeah tyrone flies out in his astral form to kind of check things out um we cut to inside where kathy is quite literally like tied up roped to a chair uh you know, classic movie style, basically, um, where uh, Flowers is chewing out Doug Tanner for bringing another girl on basically the same day. And, uh, you know, and for his choice, that like, you know, this girl, uh, but, oh, you know, let's put it in his words, but hitting on this ori oriental bimbo so soon after was top line stupid. <laughs> it's obvious she can't keep her yap shut. So. Missed opportunity for one of your famous impressions there, perhaps. I'm not going to impress that. Uh, <laughs> Too late. <I> <laughs> yeah, the uh, yeah, I no mention of this Doreen, Darlene. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, but it, hopefully they, she's not in the house. They thought like they so they let, only let the um, what's her name, uh, Prentice go, so that Janet Jackie, um, thinking that they sort of sweet sweeten the deal with her later and you know depending on how desperate you are i guess he could yeah. continue grooming her for his abuse farm but um then yeah gra grabbing the second girl on the same day is just yeah pretty bad uh, form i mean it's like a, a i don't know rich guy you know sleezing around a girl is like people will be like, oh, you know, maybe she just misinterpreted things. Like, in fact, Cyforce did two pages ago. But uh, Yeah. So this guy's basically like Harvey Weinstein, then? Is that what we're getting at? That's, yeah, I'm getting that here. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's a little too real. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> our only options to see that she has a little accident. So, uh, probably an off Kathy at this rate. Uh, and then we get kind of the cartoonishness again. Uh, 
Michael and Wayne go in the front, uh, but they make but they make a big crash. And Michael's like, you know, you tell me not to explode anything because of the noise, but then you do this. And apparently he pushed the guards to knock each other out and they used giant potted plants. So that's like some three stooges level uh, <laughs> taking, taking each other out. Um, then a page, uh, the next panel is like straight out of Miami Vice where you've got like two gunmen breaking in the room firing guns at them and they're kind of ducking under a random bit of yeah flip over the table and hide behind it kind of thing yeah yeah. and they even have the bright colored suits so so it's a little bit of seattle vice or something yeah well the uh the table ends up being a pretty solid bullet shield uh you know wayne says he can't he can't stop them with his push power because he has to be at least be able to concentrate a little bit, um, which is perhaps not so easy to do under gunfire, which makes sense. Uh, Tyrone flies in. You don't know why he's the last one to get there, uh, but he basically kind of scares and distracts everybody. Uh, but a- after they shoot at him a couple of times, they kind of recognize that, you know, perhaps he's not really a threat to them um, and pull the oh, gun. They're on to me. Yeah. Yeah, he was like going to scout ahead, I thought, and then like he shows up last time. Maybe he got distracted, yeah. So many rooms in this house. What is this? Sanctuary number three? Oh, <laughs> no, this one would make sense. You know, it seems like it would be one of those ridiculous houses that has like 11 bathrooms or something. Because, you know, people need that. Um, but, but yeah, so. Kathy even sort of reluctantly uh, uses her powers. <laughs> she doesn't even want to use them to save herself. Uh, but when they pull the gun on her, she takes another table and, you know, smacks them both in the back with it. And then again, with the kind of weird cartoonish style, she kind of picks up her chair, but she's still tied and strapped to and kind of runs off and then complains that it'll be embarrassing if someone sees me running out of here with a silly chair on my back because she's not really taking seriously that she was almost murdered and raped. Ah. Yeah. Tony's the, like tonometer is just going all up and down all over the place here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean you kind of take the gunfire seriously, but the the knocking on the goons with vases not so much and yeah and then all the goons then run out of the house like uh like abbott and costello have seen a ghost i quit i'm running out of here and you know this (laughs) okay guys this goofy 1940s version of uh, a goon i guess (laughs) yeah even the even their their boss, I guess, leaves too. Right? They could be right. It might be a good idea to cut my losses too. See you around, pal. So I guess this is Doug Tanner's house, perhaps. Then, um, but uh, yeah, things aren't going so well for him. Uh, he starts running, uh, maybe towards his car. Uh, I can't handle this by myself. I got to hire more muscle. Then come back and, um, but it looks like Wayne's right there hiding, and. A little more of the personal touch instead of giving him a push or something like that. He kind of springs out of the bushes and punches him in the face, likely knocking the gun out of his hand. So they're all kind of surrounding him. Um, 
you know, the jig is up. Uh, but he gives them the whole classic, you know, what are you going to do? You can't bust me. Your word against mine. Cops aren't going to believe you. I got more lawyers than money can buy kind of thing. And they're like, and they buy it, which I think is a little iffy, honestly. Um, yeah, I guess there is nothing we can do. Wayne, I thought you were the street smart one. What, you, what the heck, man? Right? I mean, he could even just like brain push him to forget all of these things and go and quit his job and become a janitor or something, you know? It's like he's got quite a bit of power there to mess with this guy or yeah. have him turn himself in, right? Indeed, yeah. Uh, you should just go confess, dude. That's yeah. what you should do. <laughs> do a little self-reflection there, Doug Tanner. <laughs> You're rich. You don't have to be a sleazeball. But we, we get, I mean, actually, we need a little Jack Magnaconti here, right? I feel like I gave him some garbage when he was, you know, didn't know how to solve a problem and ended up just kind of turning the guy into the mob to pretty much off him. <laughs> right? So he kind of like didn't get his hands dirty, but still took care of the situation. It's like, Cyforce. I think this guy deserved it a lot more than the, the chemist guy from Kickers. Yeah, we're all a little sensitive about the chemist too. But, uh, okay, I understand. <laughs> That's not a good guy, but he didn't, the, he's, he's not a sex trafficker. <laughs> the, but anyway, so yeah, they, they're kind of weak about it, uh, which I think mostly just kind of sets up Mike Crawley to get pissed and blow up the guy's house. So that'll teach you for kidnapping children and using them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then they just leave. It's, I mean, it's not a bad, like, it's a good half page size panel. So, you know, reasonably dramatic looking. Yeah. It's, it's impressive. And, and I think it's, you know, clues us in a little bit on, uh, uh, Michael Crowley's power level, I'm like, yeah, okay, he can blow up a whole house, right, right, without really losing much sleep over it. Um, but yeah, then they just kind of walk off. So I guess you know, if if uh, Doug Tanner has good insurance, then uh, he got away pretty easy on that one. He's mumbling something about a gas leak at the end. So it's again one of these people see the psychic powers they just make up excuses in their own heads yeah well i think we talked about it a while ago it's like it's we don't know really for each every character like what you can see of their powers so like you know we get images of like little like spheres and kind of like psychic cloud kind of stuff and uh we know we can see that for sure when stasi heals people but we're not really sure if we can see if people can actually see that or it's just kind of like a little artistic cue so we can actually tell something's going on but yeah so kathy's happy that they came and rescued them um wayne says well maybe i was wrong maybe but don't quote me so i guess two two times wayne was right the third time when he decided to not try and rescue her it's not so great um, but then by the next day, uh, the kids are back at the sanctuary, but they're not going to stick around. So they say their goodbyes. Uh, apparently they've decided to return to San Francisco and try to settle things there, which 
I think is also maybe an odd choice, but they don't have where, anywhere to go, really. Um, Wisconsin. They could have. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been kind of cool synergy if they ended up in a clinic. Yeah, yeah. That would be yeah. the DP7 clinic, which we've had clues that there's a bunch of them, but uh, we've not seen anything other than the DP7 one. But So Jackie gives them a bunch of goodbye hugs and a, you know, awkward looking kiss for Michael. Um, I'm going to go try to settle some things myself. I've grown up a bit these past few days. Yeah, getting abused like that will do it too. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. So, so, yeah, she's decided to call her parents, which is definitely a good idea at this rate. Um, but, yeah, so our, our closing line, Michael's, I wish we could stay. I wish we could stay here forever. And Stasi's, I understand your pain, Michael, and I wish I could help. But though I can mend splintered bones and torn tissue, even I cannot heal a broken heart. There's only one very special magic that can. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, and what's that? Time, Tovarich. Time. That's pretty lame, but... Yeah, I that X-Men thing of where you just throw in the, the um, non-English words, I mean, either say time, comrade, time, or say Vremya Tovarisha. Vremya. <laughs> just have everyone, like, not know what you're talking about. I don't know. Anyway, maybe it's just me. Uh, I'm okay with the Tavarish. I'm, I'm just, uh, <laughs> that's a real cheesy ender. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, the, uh, man. There's also no like next, next time coming up next, anything like that. So, yeah, which I've grown to be really annoyed with. I mean, I can totally look it up and you know, we've got the Marvel Edge thing, but I don't. So I'm, I'm really reading this as like a new reader. So I'm like, okay, now what? Or even at the end, just to make sure there's no more, like not one more page that we're not. Oh, I didn't skip, turn over to that. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, no. Psy Stalker is coming back. Wait, what? I mean, um, Though we do have the Chip, Chips Ahoy cookie maze, which I enjoy. So. I haven't memorized it yet, so I guess I could always do that again just to kill some time. Why am I picturing you at work doing this? Teammates. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. But yeah, so thus ends Cyforce issue six. And we're not really sure Seven. if they're headed back to San Fran or not. <sighs> you know, I think in a, our. our recap issue or episode i i said this was the thing i was looking forward to most next yeah i feel like i cursed myself with that uh, expectation <laughs> high expectation I, th- I think it's definitely got a lot of possibility for turning around and um yeah just you, know, you never you never know what you're going to get which i guess is was kind of a part of the problem with the with the launch in general yeah so i mean it fits in continuity so it's not a classical fill-in issue but it does have that sort of suddenly we're somewhere else and we have an adventure and then we're going to head back to where we were before uh, so not to 
yeah, I would have preferred like a longer road trip or something, but for like a longer attempt to establish themselves in a new situation, either one of those would have been preferable, honestly. Yeah, I need to feel like some like there's some direction. All right. Hmm. So I guess we're we're both in agreement that the weird tonal shifts in this one really weren't very satisfying. Yeah, uh, I think I don't know if I mean if, if they're still writing these in that like you know the Marvel style kind of thing where you have like the plot and then the art and then the the writing perhaps um, that could have been where there's some disconnect, but. Yeah, I mean, if you go from, like, cartoonish, like, the bad guy kicking his driver in the butt and, like, making fun of him for reading comics to, like, girl getting sexually abused, it's like, uh, and then, uh, oh, everything's fine in the end. It's, yeah. Yeah, I did want to... This way today. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember, like, you would have uh, sort of uh, regular primetime shows in the 80s that would sometimes take up, bite off a little bit more than they could chew in that way. I don't know if I, a specific example comes to mind, but yeah, that. Yeah, like when a sitcom, which is mostly kind of comedic, like, you know, all of a sudden, like one of some side characters got like a drug issue or something. And it's like, eh. yeah, yeah. But Cyforce can deal with heavy stuff, right? Like it's it they they are more they can be more serious and more realistic and you know dealing with a lot of issues of you know kids who have been forced to run away from home and you know kind of got no support system kind of thing. But yeah, that's true. I mean, they've been in sanctuary for a few months now, so you'd think. I mean, it's as bad, if not worse, than Seattle in terms of what the kids have been exposed to by the time they get there, you know? Yeah. And where's the skipper? <laughs> yeah, Skipper's Miss MIA. I remember uh, really early, I think it was like issue two after the U.S. government murdered Cyforce before Cyhawk healed them back to life. Um, when he's like, yeah, I think these kids are really going to need some guidance. <laughs> it's like, uh, nope. <laughs> Did he go on vacation or something? Did he get fired? <laughs> should be looking out for these kids at least somewhat I definitely did expect Skipper to be hanging around more than we've seen of him um, yeah I don't miss his long exposition and like <laughs> they would use him to like tell the backstory and stuff but I, I really would really appreciate him looking at a dossier of the Cyphors with their names, ages, heights and weights though that would be awesome for me. <laughs> hey, could be. Could happen. So I actually, um, one of, something I was looking over had some um, descriptions of um, this, uh, it, uh, some of the issues. And I caught this one um, as they de described it as a um, Kathy gets, you know, kidnapped or something by a child pornography ring Ew. so yeah that's yeah it's like yes and no i mean it's like 
Jackie and Kathy are teenagers who, you know, I'm not, yeah. So like, as it is in this, in the comic itself, it seems like, is this like a pornography thing or a sex trafficking thing? And yeah. so it's not quite child pornography. I mean, in the sense that like, you know, young children are being completely manipulated. This is like a story you would hear more a lot in like the 70s or 80s of, you know, runaways who are late teenagers. And so they're kind of, you know, old enough to, to think they know what they're doing or something and like get kind of sweet talked into some very uncomfortable situations, which, you know, uh, I mean, obviously this is a very shorthand version of that story, but whatever. Yeah, it is definitely a pretty classic, like, 80s movie TV show kind of storyline, though. It's got, it's got a lot of the, a lot of those bases covered that we've seen in a lot of other media. Yeah, the story beats are all there. Plus a weird bit of, like, Scooby-Doo stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh. no, no. Welcome the sixth member of Cyforce, Scrappy. <laughs> Cancel the book. Uh, yeah, it's a um, it's a little frustrating as an issue. I don't know. Let me just call it that. Yep. All right. Shall we assign a letter to it? Uh, yeah, you first this time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. This one's hard. I think it's got some writing problems. I mean, it's not like the art is bad, but it just seems a little off for the tone of the book. I mean, just the tone of the book. So, I mean, we, but we've addressed all that quite a bit. Uh, I mean, I, it's got a little bit of like the so bad it's good too. So I'm kind of, it's hard to judge, you know, it's like, is it, fun to read because it's kind of got some real goofy, terrible aspects to it, or is it not good because I kind of like Cyforce and this one pulls me out of <laughs> the enjoyment from it. So I guess I'll C plus it. It's, it's hit, definitely hitting the C range somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Are, are we doing harder, harder grades now in this uh, season? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I missed that memo. I feel like I gave uh, that bad Mark Hazard Merck issue a D, right? So, like, this is better than that. So it feels okay. Yeah, I will uh, take it to B- minus and not uh, overdo it. But, but um, it's mostly, like, my, you know, like, they over, yeah, a bit off more than they could chew with some very dark subject matter that I don't think uh, is really appropriate for the book. Um, but okay, the sort of lack of forward direction is probably more what I'm uh, bigger picture um, grading down for. So eh, it's a, um, yeah, I, I don't know what to ex expect next, um, but uh, yeah, I, I this was not the big payoff I was hoping for from uh, from number six. So, oh well. 
Yeah, we've been spoiled perhaps by like DP7 leaves and hits the road and like all the kind of cool adventures there going on in the character development. So I was hoping for something a little bit like that. Yeah. Oh, let me point out this. They were leaving on like Christmas Eve. There's nothing that kind of gives you a season in this or even says that it's cold. So, yeah. Well, that Northwest weather, though. So it's always kind of tricky. It is. It would just be raining nonstop, right? Yeah. I mean, cold, miserable rain. They'd all look much unhappier. And the sky would always be dark from the clouds. Yeah. That's how I remember it. That is definitely the case. <laughs> so, Cyforce, we expect more from you now. So. We'll see. Maybe we'll get more. So, let's see. Let's um, go into next week's episodes. Yeah. So, that's it for this week. And next time, we'll be covering Kickers Inc. number seven, where perhaps. Uh, a top-secret U.S. jet fighter goes down in international waters, and the government asks Kickers, Inc. to rescue the pilots. Did they run out of resources? Uh, a tie-in with Mark Hazard Merck, number seven, written by Adam Blaustein, penciled by Alan Kupperberg. The U.S. government is running out of resources, and as well as <laughs> Kickers, Inc. Interesting. Yeah, and in, over in Mark Hazard Merck, number seven, Mark Hazard is sent by the U.S. government to find or destroy the top-secret jet fighter that crashed in international waters. If, indeed, that is what happened, Ooh. a tie-in with Kickers, Inc., number seven, written by Adam Blaustein, penciled by Alan Kupperberg. Um, so, yeah, we're not 100% nice. sure if that crossover is really happening because Mark Hazard, Merck's cover, indeed has a jet pilot, jet fighter on it. Where Kicker's Inc. number seven, I just pulled up and it has Jack Magnaconti fighting a white lion. So maybe not. This, yeah. I'm... There's only one way to find out, though, and that's listen to the next episode of the podcast, not like <laughs> some kind of systemic information system that's shared on the cloud or anything. Don't go looking it up on the internet, right? <laughs> yeah. Nope. Unless that internet is kickersinc.com, right? <laughs> it's the best place to find some information, although probably not the answer to this question. No, not, not unless the link is posted for the podcast by the time you read, you listen to this. So, um, But yeah, that's our website. Uh, you can email us, newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. Ask us a question. Make a comment. Maybe we can read your comment on there because we don't have letters pages in the new universe yet, and but we like letters. So, yeah, give us something to talk about. And uh, till then, we'll see you back at the Spinner Rack, hopefully learning more about Kickers, Inc. Cyforce. Cyforce. Cyforce.